0: Well, good morning, Harvest. It's great to be with you again. We're continuing on with this series. I know you have your Bibles uh, with you right now, open. We're going to be primarily in 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen, fourteen. A few other passages along the way. But let me ask you uh, this question: Just as we get started in God's Word this morning, are we afraid of the miraculous? Are we afraid of the miraculous? Are we too rational? to expect God to do supernatural things. i just give you three examples from the New Testament to show you that it's not just a contemporary phenomenon that we're talking about here, but when Jesus cast demons out of the man in Gerasenes, this is in Luke chapter 8, the people actually asked him. They had seen this incredible miracle, and the people asked him to leave their region. They didn't ask him to do more miracles. They wanted him gone, Jesus did miracles in the towns of Chorazin and Bethsaida, Matthew chapter 11, and the people refused to believe. The children of Israel, if you think back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel had seen miracle after miracle in their departure from Egypt and into the wilderness And yet when they got to the very edge of the promised land and sent the spies into the land to to find out what it was like, they came back with this report that, yes, it's awesome, but we can't possibly take it because of the people that are there. Despite all the miracles that they had seen along the way, their hearts were so filled with fear and melted at the spies' report. And that's in Numbers 13 and 14. You see, whether it's then or now, human beings are gripped by self-centeredness, we're consumed by our own need to be in control, and we're inclined toward rationalism. We have to understand everything. And so we are also as human beings predisposed to deny that miracles happen, to deny that God intervenes supernaturally in our world and in our lives. And yet for us as believers, we fall into that temptation as well. And yet for us as believers, we know that we have been saved, we have been brought to life, given new life by the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation of our salvation and our faith. And yet sadly, most of us believe that the power of God is no longer manifested in the same way. As we continue to look into this matter of spiritual gifts, and we're going to focus on what we identified last week as the power gifts, uh, you and I have to affirm that, and notice this in your notes now, that as a believer, hopefully you're going to be able to say this, as a believer, I should expect the Lord to work in unexplained ways, manifesting Himself in power so as to build up the church. Again, I hope you can say that. I'm not going to read any specific text at this point. This is where I would insert the Scripture reading. We have a number of texts we're going to look at for this um, along the way. But let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll see those verses as we go this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Uh, Father, these are uh, complicated days that we're in. And uh, there's a sense in which, Father, we need you more than ever before. We need your grace. We need your guidance. Father, we need courage and we need faith to live 100% for you in the midst of these days. And so, God, uh, speak to us now. We need a word from you. And as we hear you speak, God, I pray that you would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come to each one of us now to convince us and convict us of the truths we're about to hear. And then to change us into the people that You want us to be. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen? All right. Uh, You see the statement there. As a believer, I should expect the Lord to work in unexplained ways, manifesting Himself in power so as to build up the church. What I need to know is this. Five things I need to know. The first is this. All spiritual gifts continue to be in play today. Now, I want to remind you about the spiritual gifts that we looked at last week. Here's a chart um, that's going to help us understand this. We looked at this again last week, uh, the empowered abilities. Uh, Those empowered abilities also break down. uh, We saw into love and word gifts, and now in this message, we're turning our attention to that second column, these divine manifestations, again, or also called the power gifts, which have met with so much controversy in the church, with some people actually believing that these gifts are no longer in God's playbook. And those um, who would believe that, we would call those folks to be uh, cessationists, um, other people believing that all the gifts are in play today. Those people we would call continuationists. And I'm super grateful for an article by Robert Bowman on Nabil Qureshi. Maybe you know that name. Nabil Qureshi was a young man. He passed away at age 34. He was an apologist. He worked with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Um, he uh, lived fully for the Lord. And uh, he had a, a view of miracles that... Um, that I've developed into this chart as we think about not just miracles, but all of the uh, power gifts. And uh, the link to that article is in uh, the notes at hbc.info. But you can see now the starting of this chart, uh, the views of the power gifts. First of all, we have cessationists on the one side and continuationists on the other. The cessationists believe that the power gifts are no longer occurring. They end it with the apostolic age in the first century. And that was because they were primarily about authenticating the gospel message itself. And since the gospel message was well-established, then there was no longer a need for uh, the uh, power gifts. Continuationists on the other side of the spectrum believed that the power gifts should happen in our day with the same frequency as in the gospel accounts. Now, I find both of these extremes to be a bit uh, constraining Uh, The danger with cessationism is that that everything becomes explainable with cessationism. God is put in a box and limited by uh, what He can do by this doctrine. The danger, on the other hand, with continuationism is that it sets us up for disappointment when we don't see the miraculous happening around us. It also sets us up for fakery, for, for, for people uh, pretending to have spiritual gifts that they don't have, which is common in many churches that express and embrace this view. The place I believe that we need to land on this is uh, a, a balanced approach, a measured continuationism. That is to say, the power gifts are all still in play. God's powerful work anticipated by believers and the gifts eagerly desired but are less common than when God moved at special times and in special ways in history to advance His plans. Now, having established that as a position where uh, we believe the Bible takes us, there's a danger in this view as well. And listen, uh, this is so important for us because this is where we land and this is the danger that we are more likely to face, not the one on either of these extremes, but right here in the middle that we would use this word measured as an excuse to not participate in God's powerful work. And what that essentially will do is it's going to make us functional cessationists. And we'd miss so much of what God wants to do in and through us that can only be explained by the Holy Spirit's work in us and in our church. Wouldn't you agree that the thing that you would want to see more than anything else in our church is for unexplainable things to happen. And by unexplainable, I mean unexplainable by anything we would do, but, but only explainable by the moving of the Holy Spirit. I want more of that for our church. I believe you want more of that for our church. And so all of the gifts are actually in play. The Apostle Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 13 8 to 12. And remember, um, 12, 13, 14 of 1 Corinthians, all about spiritual gifts. We're drawing all of our material from these uh, three chapters. Paul writes this, as for prophecies, okay, one of the power gifts, as for prophecies, they will pass away. There's going to be a time when prophecy passes away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So he's talking about uh, three of the power gifts here to say that there's going to come a time when the power gifts are no longer in play. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now he's talking about right now. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that's going to beg the question, what's the perfect? What constitutes perfect? Because when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, that's all going to pass away when the perfect comes. For now, and and Paul tells us, by the way, when this is going to be. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Don't we feel that? That we have the truth, but we, we're trying to interpret the days and interpret the signs and see what God is saying and what He's calling us to do. And it isn't always as clear as we'd want it to be. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when the perfect comes, but then notice what He says face to face. Now in part, then He says, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so this cannot refer to any other time but the eschaton. The last days, the end of the age, the beginning of eternity, the coming of Jesus Christ, the establishing of his throne on earth. That's when it's perfect. That's the only time when we will see him face to face. And it's at that moment at the coming of Christ that prophecies and tongues and Knowledge and all of the power gifts will no longer be needed because the Lord will be with us and we'll be with Him and we'll be His people and He's going to be our God and it's going to be awesome. The perfect is, without doubt, the final redemption when we see Jesus face to face. And until then, all the gifts are in play. Well, here's the second matter that we need to know. The goal of the gifts is that the church would be built up. Now, uh, notice what Paul says here in um, chapter 14, verse 26. Again, 1 Corinthians, when you come together, so when you're having your services, um, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done. Notice, this is the key part. Let all things be done for building up the point of the exercise of all of our gifts is that the church itself would be strengthened and would be built up. And I alluded to this in the first message, but we have to get past thinking of the church as something we come to, to get something. And I know that in our initial approach to church, especially when we were unbelievers, we come to the church To find Jesus Christ. We come to get something. Once we become followers of Jesus Christ. And are integrated into the body of Christ. Then it's no longer I'm coming to get something. It's that I'm coming to give something. I'm coming to contribute something. I'm coming to help this place be built up. And to be stronger than what it is right now. But so many people today so many professing believers, so many Christians have actually become consumers of religion. When a local church no longer satisfies their needs, I'm no longer getting what I should get. I, I just don't feel like I'm getting much out of this church anymore. Well, then the consumer of religion moves on to something else. And by the way, I'll just say it as a little... You know, kind of side note right here, there are good reasons to leave a church, and God can call people from one local assembly to another. There are good reasons for that to happen, and we should always do that in the most gracious way we could possibly do it. But being a consumer is never a good reason to leave a church. Having a consumer mindset is not justified in the mind of the Lord and in His Word. You know, if I could maybe illustrate it this way, I have, um, like you, I have certain restaurants that I, I like, certain restaurants that I prefer today, and if you were to ask me, hey, um, why don't we go out for a meal tonight? I would suggest two, three, four restaurants that I like, and there would be a lot that would be on my list of ones I wouldn't even bother going to, but there's some that I really like that are in my price point and I'm comfortable with and, and all of that. Those are, those are my preferred restaurants. But if you had asked me the question five years ago, which restaurants do you like? Where do you want to go out for dinner? I might have had a completely different list. In the space of several years, my tastes have changed. I became bored with certain menus. I really like this other menu. I like the atmosphere in the restaurant. I like the way the waitstaff serves us. So I prefer this restaurant to that restaurant. I found a place with better food, better service, better environment. For my money, I was getting a better experience. I'm a consumer of restaurants. And in retail and in food services, you would expect that kind of thing. But what we look for in dining out options cannot be how we look at the church. We must not be consumers but we must be contributors, we we must not be customers, but we have to see ourselves as shareholders. And so, if that's the case, if I'm a shareholder or a stakeholder, if I have ownership of part of this, if I'm actually part of it, I want to build it up, and I have to be asking myself the question now, what am I doing? You should be asking yourself this question, what am I doing Right now, what am I doing to build up the church? What am I contributing to the strengthening of the body of Christ? Seven things that you can think about here, and I'm going to give, you, give them to you, like rapid, rapid, rapid fire. Ready for these? Okay. What am I doing to build up the church? Am I, what first? Am I giving to? Am I praying over? Am I engaging in? and i'm am i caring for am i speaking well of am i pursuing holiness in and yes am i serving on behalf of that last one being the key part of this series am i serving on behalf of am i using my empowered abilities and eagerly desiring divine manifestations of god In the church to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Because that's the mission. That's why Christ came. That's why he gave his life on the cross. That's why he was resurrected from the dead. And that's the power that's available to us. As the members of Christ. The members of his body. The members of his church. To engage in the mission that he's given to us in this world. So again, I ask, what are you doing to build up the church? A strong church is able to accomplish so much more of the mission that Jesus has given to us. What are you doing to build up the church? If the answer is nothing or not much, then a change needs to be made. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, a change needs to be made. Here's the third one. There's the higher gifts. The higher gifts should be the ones we seek, which begs the question, what are the higher gifts? Well, look in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, uh, Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts Then he goes on to say, I will show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way takes us into chapter 13, which is all about love. But the higher gifts, we ask the question, which are those? There's a bit of clarity he offers a little bit later on in chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to have a spiritual gift or more than one spiritual gift. Desire that. Then he says, especially, and he identifies one of the power gifts, especially that you may prophesy... That's 1 Corinthians 14.5, 14.1, uh, then 14.5 says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now, it's helpful for us at this moment to ask the question, we always need to ask of the text, why was the author writing this to these particular people at this particular time? In other words, what's the context Or the reason for Paul writing what he's writing. And there was a specific issue. In fact, Corinth is the poster child for various church issues, and one of them was how the gifts were being played out in the church. In fact, we could say it very simply this way. There was a battle going on in worship services between the tongues people and the prophecy people. The tongues people thinking that they should have more more prominence in the services, and the prophecy people thinking they should have more prominence in the services. And, And so it was a huge controversy in the church, and Paul's writing this corrective to them. Paul's point is simply this. If you look down to verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay? Better to prophesy, and, and prophes- prophecy can go in two different directions, by the way. Prophecy can be just the, uh, not just, but it can be the fourth Telling of truths that are known, and we would know that more as preaching, the foretelling of truths that we know, or the foretelling of truths we don't have, but are consistent with the Word of God, the foretelling of something we didn't know. And we think often of prophecy more in that way, and often of it in terms of future things. So he says, it's better to prophesy, to foretell an unknown thing, or to foretell the Word of God than it is to speak in an unintelligible language, that's tongues. And so this is the issue that they're dealing with in Corinth. And, And for sure, we do not have this particular issue going on at Harvest. We have other issues, but we don't have this issue going on. It's a reminder, though, from a principle standpoint, that the gifts ought to be sought after, and that we should seek the ones, the higher gifts as Paul lays it out here, we should be seeking the higher gifts that are more obviously used for building up the church, which we just looked at. And so ask God to give you those gifts. In fact, ask God to give you whatever gifts you should use to most effectively contribute to the overall strength and mission of the church. God, would you give me a gift that will contribute to the building up of our church and then be prepared to receive whatever gift God gives you. The rivalry that sprung up in Corinth hindered that church from being built up. And it undermined the mission there. And that's why Paul's writing this corrective. And I keep thinking because of that, how big a part humility plays in all of this. How big a part humility plays in the exercising of the gifts. In fact, Paul pointed that out in in chapter 12, verse 3. He said, I I say um, to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, it's all in the context of spiritual gifts. So Paul's saying, as we, as we begin to talk about spiritual gifts here, and I'm going to give you some things to help you with this little controversy you have going in the church, I just want you to remember that no one should think too highly of themselves on the basis of what gifts they have. In other words, you ought to all be pretty humble about how God is working in your life. And how easy it is for us to allow envy to grip us, to think that we've been slighted or overlooked or on the other side of the coin, to, 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 to allow pride to lift us up to a place thinking that we're something because we have some particular gift. Without humility, the exercising of any gifts can fuel uh, the darkest impulses of our hearts. And this is why in this series, you know, uh, this is message five of six um, in this series, and the first three messages were all about the fruit of the Spirit. This is why it's always being being before doing. It's, it's character before service. It's, it's offering ourselves, as Romans 12, 1 says, as a living sacrifice. It is the display of the fruit of the Spirit before we begin to use the gifts of the Spirit. And so seek the higher gifts for the good of the church, whether you get the gift or not. God, give our church the higher gifts. And in our minds, it has to always be, God, I want what's best for the church not for myself i want what's best for the church amen i mean i'm just imagining you saying amen right now to that well here's a fourth thing that we need to know elders are responsible for the orderly expression of the gifts well, here's the thing. We, we believe, and we've, we've said this at Harvest for quite some time now, that we are, uh, this is kind of the phrase that we've used, um, maybe you heard it in our Essentials class, that we are non-charismatic. So, talking about the movement of charismatic churches, we are non-charismatic, but not anti-charismatic. And yet, the official statement, we never really adopted this, but the official statement of our former fellowship uh, sounded pretty anti-charismatic, even though we said that. And when you read it, there was really no room for God to actually work in a more miraculous way in our churches. Functionally, we were very much Baptist, and I don't mean to make the Baptist the whipping boy. I hope I'm permitted to say that. I was uh, uh, 16 years in a Baptist church. I was um, ordained. My first pastoral role was in a Baptist church. It was a great church. But if I'm permitted to say so, the Baptists embrace, as a rule, a very Cessationist position, believing that the gifts are not in play today. Even if there were Baptists who said that they were open to such things, there was really a hesitation there. And the concern was legitimate. The concern was for that person, the, the extreme and the excess of it, that person who comes forward and says, I have a word for you. I have a word for you. I have a word for you, sister. I have a word for you, brother. The person who always has a word for someone else is always directing someone else's life. The person who in the extreme believes that every thought they have is a thought from God that needs to be delivered to someone else. And I don't know about your thought life, but I am so far from every thought of mine being a thought from God. So I find the whole thing rather frightening. And I I get why there's a cautiousness when you open yourself up to that kind of thing. I get when churches battle the indiscriminate expression of tongues that plays out in many churches. And so as such, there's this fear of saying, we're open to all of this. And so we say we're open, but then we put up barriers to it actually happening. And there's no doubt that there are certain Christian churches where worship is a free for all with no structure or order to what happens in worship. That is not our experience here. And we ground all of this, the, our approach to worship at harvest, we ground this in 1 Corinthians fourteen forty, where Paul writes, but all things, again, this is right at the very end of a whole section on spiritual gifts, but all things, and by that he means the expression of all the gifts, the love gifts, the word gifts, the power gifts, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, at Harvest, this could be our mantra. This could be our motto. We love structure. We love organization. We love order. We're all about decency. We obey this verse zealously. And we ought to. We, we don't apologize for that. And still, despite our cautiousness, we have still seen God work in miraculous ways, in, in power gift kind of ways in the life of our church over the years. In fact, I recalled on at least three occasions where a word of knowledge came to me directly. And by word of knowledge, I mean that someone had a little piece of information or insight that could not have been known by them, it it had to have been given to them by God to deliver to me personally. In fact, I'll tell you about one of these incidents because it's so striking. Once after a uh, lengthy elders meeting, uh, we were wrestling, in fact, in that meeting with a, a pretty difficult issue, an important issue. And over the course of the conversation at the meeting, it became very clear that the elders were not going to reach consensus. One of the beauties of consensus is we believe that all of the elders need to be in agreement over a matter before we proceed so that even if one elder had a hesitation, that we would believe that that was from the Lord and we would wait until that elder could say, you know what, I think we should move forward. We believe that God could speak through the one. Whereas if you vote on something, the vote might have been four to one and we might have proceeded against the hesitations of the one, and it just makes him kind of feel like he's outside of it. We believe that God can do something special in the heart of elders as we make those kinds of decisions. So on this Wednesday night, it was pretty clear we weren't going to get to consensus. And the chairman wisely said, you know what I think we should do? I think we should just pray until our next meeting and believe that God is going to give us the answer before we get together. That was on a Wednesday night. We concluded the meeting. Everybody went home the next morning, Thursday morning, I get a phone call from a young man in our church. He said to me, Todd, I don't know what you want to do with this, but um, my wife um, believes that she has a word for you. And I said to him, why don't you guys come over right away? And they, they came over to the office, and we went up into my office, and we closed the door, and she very humbly and and even... With hesitation in her voice, not knowing how it would be received, she delivered this word of knowledge to me. Now, understand, they were not connected in any way to the elders. They had no idea what we were talking about the night before, but she delivered the exact word, the exact, the exact answer to the question that we had in front of us the night before. And God was so kind and so gracious to answer our prayers for an answer for him, from Him. And He delivered through this young lady who brought a word of knowledge that's that's an expression of the power gifts in our midst and we want more of that and the couple was so respectful and honoring and how they handled it it was done we look at this verse it was done decently and in order and it was evident that we had had a divine manifestation but on another occasion in our early days a man approached me As the service was concluding, this was in our first location. The closing song was being sung. I was standing uh, where I normally back up my seat, and he came up behind me uh, around from the other part of the church, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he whispered in my ear, he says, I have a word for the church. Can I share it? And I told him that we would conclude the service. Again, singing's happening all around us. The worship team is playing. I told him that we would conclude the service. I would gather a couple of the elders together to hear his word, and we would decide if and how and when that word would be delivered to the church, communicated to the church. But what he wanted is he wanted the microphone right there and right then, and so he said, no, that's not acceptable, and he turned and he walked away. We were simply not about to allow someone to give an untested word to the church. And that is the elder's responsibility in guarding the sheep from potential wolves and false teaching. Now listen, I'm also aware that some dedicated prayer warriors in our Harvest family pray in tongues. I hope that's not a surprise to anybody. It's very consistent with what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's practiced as a private prayer language and everybody who's in the room for those prayer meetings is accepting of it. The thing is, verse 39 tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 not to forbid this. There is a tension with all of this, though, that will admit. The famous Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon spoke of having 13 times in his long ministry career, 13 moments in his preaching where God gave him, he believed, a prophetic word, a specific Bit of information he could not otherwise have known about somebody who was sitting in front of him among the thousands that heard him preach. A word of knowledge about someone in the crowd, someone he did not know at all, and yet officially, even though that happened and there are some amazing stories and there are links in the notes for these articles, officially the church he pastored, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, is cessationist. Now here's the thing. If we go back to that chart again, I'll admit that we still draw the line a little further to the left than we probably should. Not all the way to cessation is for sure but maybe a little left of center. That we're still cautious. And I certainly agree with an article that Jason Meyer wrote he's a pastor in Minneapolis and he writes on the desiringgod.org blog which is John Piper's blog. That even though, this is what he said, even though I have always been a theoretical continuationist, that is, he believes that the gifts are all in play, even though I've been a theoretical continuationist, I am too often a functional cessationist. In other words, I'm a continuationist in theory, but I look a lot like a cessationist in practice. And this gap between theory and practice pricks my conscience. I want more, I want to see God do more. Even while we continue to obey Him and do everything decently, in order, I I don't want to hinder the work of God. I don't want to not long for divine manifestations to happen in our church. And I hope you want that too. Even with all of the tension that brings. And trusting the elders to guide this church and protect this church as we move forward in this way. One more. Number five. Everything must be tested. For those of you who have hesitations right now, this is the assurance that elders are on the job and that everything is going to be tested by the Word of God. And in a running list of various things that Paul says to the Thessalonian believers now, he wrote of the gifts. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. He said, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise the power gifts. But, he says, test everything. I mean, underline that in your Bibles. Test everything. I mean, we should... 1 Corinthians 14, 39, earnestly desire to prophesy, earnestly desire to have this power gift, and we should not forbid speaking in tongues, but neither should we be indiscriminate. The Scriptures here are telling us that we need to test, to judge, to evaluate, to assess, everything that's happening in the church to ensure that the messages are consistent with the word of god we do not test and this is where we we fail sometimes as people we do not test according to our opinions we do not test according to our experiences we do not test according to what makes us feel comfortable or uncomfortable The criteria cannot be personal, it cannot be arbitrary, it cannot be subjective. The test for all tongues, for all prophecies, for all word of knowledge, for all aspects of the power gifts, the test is always the word of God. Is it consistent with this book? We understand that even with prophecies, which we've spoken about here in this message a little bit... Again, the foretelling of something from God. A prophecy is given. A foretelling of something from God. It always has to be aligned with Scripture. But prophecies today do not add to Scripture. But with these prophecies, the info that's given. Here's the thing. This is about how it's like we're living in the messy middle. If we go back to that. Think about that chart again. That we're not just full-on continuationists. We're not, we're not full-on cessationists. We're living in the messy middle where it's a little harder to figure all of this out. That sometimes when the prophecies are given, sometimes when the tongues are spoken, sometimes when the word of knowledge is delivered, that it may not in fact be perfectly accurate just like the exercise of any gift the exercise of a love gift or of a word gift may not be perfectly accurate because we still live in this sin-tainted world and we don't see jesus face to face the perfect has not yet come in fact wayne grudem who's written a lot on this matter has a whole book out on the issue of prophecy wayne gruden points out Um, from Acts chapter 21, this little example, this guy named Agabus, he brings a prophetic word to the Apostle Paul. But here's the thing, even though Agabus is being used of God and a divine manifestation is coming through him, he's delivering this prophecy, and even though he's doing this, he doesn't get every detail correct. Agabus, in fact, Received a vision from God, interpreted that through his own grid, I guess this means that, and then delivered the message in his own words. In its essence, the prophecy was correct. Paul would indeed be taken into custody when he went to Jerusalem. But he missed on some of the details. Paul still got the message. And Paul did indeed believe that the message was from God. And it just makes the point that tongues and prophecies have to square with the Scriptures. But sometimes they could be just a little bit off the mark in terms of the details because they're being delivered through fallible human beings. And that all such exercises of the gift, and this is really the point here, that all such exercises of the gift must always be tested by the Scriptures for their veracity. Everything must be tested. Well, needless to say, I think at the end of this, I did so much reading, so much got poured into this one little message that gets put together on a very, very big topic. And having had to present it in such a short time span, uh, for those who wish to look into all of this uh, further, I've provided quite a number of links in the uh, sermon notes you've probably already seen them if you've been into the notes at hbc.info um, some of those articles i've actually used as source material others i've just given to you there for further reading and study and next week we're going to wrap up uh, this series with a message on the means and impact of the gifts in our lives and so hopefully uh, this is all being super beneficial to us as we think about what it means to be believers who are part of the church of jesus christ let me pray for us as we close our time together father so very grateful for how you are um, patient and striving with us as we seek to work all of these things out and father i'm grateful that we have a church that's filled with such diversity people who have had no church background who've come to faith in christ and are learning all of these things and then father uh, people from various church histories and backgrounds who are coming together in this 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 great conglomeration of believers that we call harvest bible chapel and i'm grateful for for that god and i pray that we would as we said last week just celebrate the diversity of the body of christ And God, that we would show incredible grace to one another and we would press in deeply to your word to learn all of these things because our heart's desire, God, is that the church would be built up and that we would accomplish our mission here in Barrie, in Simcoe County, in the province of Ontario, in this country. God, as that extends out to our partnerships in Scotland and Cameroon, God, I pray that you would do a powerful work in each one of us as believers to build up the church.